If you would, go ahead and open up your Bibles with me to Jude, if you haven't already. And I'm super excited to be here with you all. My name is Zach Griffith, and I get to be a resident here. And I know Brad asked if you guys were thankful for the residency, and if there's any thankfulness in you, know that it is tripled in me because I actually have a job and get to work here. So I'm thankful for you guys, thankful for this church and the residency overall. Um, I want to take a poll real quick, okay, before we start. Let's take a poll. How many of you guys enjoy watching the news? Raise of hands. Enjoy watching the news. All right, any of you guys who just raised your hands, y'all are pretty crazy. All right, I don't understand you guys. We will not relate. I don't get it. If I watch the news, I turn it on, the only thing I can think of is, Lord, come quick. Right, anybody else like that? I feel that a lot. Yeah, that's good. You know, I think at this point, we should just change the title of the news. We shouldn't call it the news anymore. We should just call it What's Wrong. You know, you turn on the channel, it's five o'clock, you're on channel seven, hi, it's five o'clock, here's what's wrong. That's how it starts. That's the way it should be. You know, that's what it is. That's how depressing the world around us has become. It leaves us wondering, when is Christ coming back? It's kind of like uh, those experiments, the social experiments, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but a parent will take maybe their two-year-old son or daughter, they will set up a camera right in front of them. They'll put an M&M or a couple M&Ms in front of them and they'll say, I'm going to leave. When I come back, you can have the M&M. But you can't touch it until I come back. As soon as the parent leaves, you see immediately within them, the child is struggling, warring within themselves. Can I hold off? Can I eat it? Sometimes they take it. Sometimes they distract themselves long enough for the parent to come back. So I wanted to test this out this week. So I'm not a father. I was thinking, well, I don't have a pet. So I was thinking, well, who is the most childlike person I know? So I grabbed Pastor, Mar- or Pastor Brad over here, and I was like, I'm going to get Brad his favorite treat. So I went to Cracker Barrel, got him his grilled chicken and green beans. I set up a video camera, and we actually have a, a video. It's going to be on the screen, so let's watch. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but a lot of times, it can feel like for us that when we are living this life, it's like God has said, Here's a great treat, it's gonna come, but you have to wait. And immediately within us, we're living life, warring within ourselves. Are we gonna be able to wait? And what are we gonna do in the time in between? Well, I promise you guys that it's a lot easier to wait when we have something to do. And in this text we're gonna look at today, and really all throughout scripture, we see so many instructions from God on how to live in the time in between Christ's ascension and his return. We often feel like we are stuck in this waiting period, but we are not stuck. We're just waiting. In our text today, we're going to see three instructions for the time in between. And these instructions, they're not busy work. A lot of times we think of busy work when you have students who get assignments from a teacher just to keep them busy and simply for the fact that it's going to make them work. But no, these are eternal and purposeful instructions from God and for you and for me. So that's what we're going to look at today, three instructions for the time in between. We're going to see the first one in verses 17 through 19 in the book of Jude. Let's read. It says, but you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. The first instruction we get from Jude on how to live in these last days is to watch out for divisions. Watch out for divisions. 
Jude writes in verse 19 that it is these people who cause divisions. And if we were to more literally translate that, it would say, the men who divide. And Jude's pointing out, saying, there will be people in this time in between Christ's ascension and his return who all they want to do is divide. They will divide. Jude is warning that there will be people who act according only to their fleshly desires. And their fleshly desires will always lead to division. I believe that Jude is talking about division in the church, but even more than that, outside of the church. Fleshly people, devoid of the spirit, are people who will divide over everything, anything and everything, whether they're in the church or they're not. These people are described as worldly and even more harshly devoid of the spirit. This is not the only place in scripture where we see this language used, and it's, it's, not, uh, it's not the only place that uses it as a warning to believers. In 2 Peter 3, talks about scoffers who will question what we have been taught to be true from the scripture. They will raise questions in order to divide thinking and to get people tripped up. The point that Jude is trying to get across to his readers, specifically those who are Christians, is that during the period of time in between Christ's ascension and his return, you can expect to encounter people who all they do is divide. Why do they do this, though? Well, it tells us at the end of this verse, it says they are devoid of the Spirit. They have no spiritual life whatsoever. In fact, to bring this point out even more, Jude uses a word that is translated in our Bibles as worldly people, but all it really means is they're just natural. They're just normal. There's nothing supernatural about them. They have no Holy Spirit living inside them, and so their natural instincts take over, and that leads them to cause divisions. A lot of times we look at this and we, we call these people false teachers, and while I don't necessarily think that is wrong because false teachers is, are definitely seeking to divide. But Jude doesn't call them that here, specifically by name. And one of the reasons could be that he's not talking about someone who stands up to proclaim his truth and to oppose what is actually true. I think that the people who divide that Jude is talking about are people that maybe not even trying to cause divisions, but because of the way that they live, according to their own fleshly desires, they live and they cause divisions because we as Christians look at them and we think their life is enticing. And so we question, well, am I actually living according to what God says to be true? Is that actually best? We can be enticed by the way that they live. And so Judah's saying, watch out. There are people who will live among you that do not have the spirit. And if you live like them, they will create divisions within the body of Christ. The scary thing is, authors who wrote letters to the churches were so concerned about this that it became a pretty consistent theme throughout many epistles. And if there were so many people at that time, right after Christ had ascended, who were creating divisions, how many more should we be expecting now? We would do well not only to hear this message about scoffers, but examine ourselves to see if we are allowing their fleshly passions and way of life to impact ours. And that is how divisions would be created. The ultimate division could take place where we become so entranced by a scoffer that not only do we allow ourselves to become like them, but we actually become them completely. And then we become the ones who would create a division. This is part of Jude's warning to us. Watch out, there are scoffers. 
who follow their fleshly passions. Do not let them entice you, and most of all, do not become like them. With this warning being the first instruction of what Jude instructs us to do for living in the last days, we have to ask ourselves, well, if that's what we're not supposed to do, if we're not supposed to allow ourselves to fall prey to divisions, what are we to do instead? Well, verse 20 through 21 helps us answer that question. Let's read. It says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. The second instruction that we have from Jude on how to live in the time in between is to keep yourself in God's love. Keep yourself in God's love. This whole passage is actually centered around this key phrase in verse 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Doing that will not only keep you away from the divisions that he just warned about, but it also allows you to rest in the grace and mercy of our God. What's interesting about this word keep is it's not the first time we see this idea in this short letter of Jude. It's not the last time we see it either. So let's look back to verse one. The second half of verse one says this. To those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. Then at the very end of our book, in verse 24, this idea is repeated. It says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. In both of these areas, we see this idea of us being kept for God and kept by God. But in our verse, it actually tells us that we are the ones who are supposed to do the keeping. So which is it? Is it our responsibility to keep ourselves, or is it God's responsibility to keep ours? Well, the answer is yes. It's kind of like, do you want ice cream or a brownie for dessert? Well, yes, yes I do. Both of these things can be true. And the cool part about the answer being yes to this question is that we already know God is going to hold up his end of the deal. God has already been keeping us in a million different ways this week that you and I have no idea of. I have no idea of all the temptation that God has withheld from me. Both physically and spiritually, God has kept us safe. He points back to all of God's faithfulness in Jude. Early on in verse uh, five through seven, we see how God has been faithful and has kept his people all along, even by pointing back to the exodus out of Egypt. But we must recognize that we play a part in our role in this keeping too. God tells us that we must keep ourselves in God's love, but how do we do this? Well, Jude tells us actually three ways that we can do this. The first way is to read purposefully. Where am I getting this from? Well, if we look at verse 20, it says, Beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith. The best way to build up your faith in Christ is to read truth in Scripture. So we read purposefully. Jude is telling us that if we want to remain in God's love, then we must tend to our faith. The truth is that you and I are prone to wander. We're prone to automatically have doubts. As soon as we step away from the truth, we start to question things. We're flooded with doubts. It's difficult to, cons- to discern questions like, what is true, what is false? Who am I? Who is God? Who am I in relation to God? 
These questions become so difficult for us to answer when we fail to build up our faith. If we don't build up our faith, then we will fail to keep ourselves in God's love. So, how do we correct this? We read. We read God's word. It's the truth that we need to fuel our faith. Reading God's word is how we feed our souls. If our faith is weak, it is because we have not properly fed it with God's word. So we read purposefully. Read daily. Be planted in scripture, like the tree described in Psalm 1. The second way that we can keep ourselves in God's love is by praying intentionally. Praying intentionally. Jude tells us that we must specifically pray in the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? We can offer up selfish prayers. It's possible to pray out of the Holy Spirit by only praying for what we think we need and what we think we want. But we must pray in the Holy Spirit. We must pray what the Spirit wants us to pray. He wants our response to God's word. He wants our obedient response to God's word. A prayer prayed in the Spirit is a response to God's word that flows out of a heart of faith and understanding of who we are in relation to the Father. And the third way that we keep ourselves in God's love is by waiting eagerly. Waiting eagerly. This is the last point that Jude mentions of how we can keep ourselves in God's love is by exercising patience. Yet at the same time, I'm saying that we must wait while being eager. And the reason I say wait and eager in the same point is because we know what we're waiting on. And when we know what we are waiting on, Christ's return, full of justice, full of grace, there's no way that we could not be eager. You and I should be bursting at the seams with anticipation because we are so desperate for his return. As we are waiting for Christ, we must know that what we are waiting on is the greatest thing that we can desire. And so we persevere. If we understand what we are waiting on, we will wait eagerly and persevere because we know that the good king is coming. Jude points to the fact that, we, that the mercy we receive is a future mercy, not only have we received a present mercy, a past mercy too, but a future mercy. You and I probably most often think of the mercy that is at work and at play in our lives right now, forgiving you of sin, but the mercy that Jude is pointing to is the one where Christ returns and you can actually reside in the same presence as him. With all of our eagerness, we could be tempted to think a couple of things. One, is he ever going to come back? And two, if he is going to come back, why hasn't he come back yet? Well, a couple pages earlier in our Bible, we see an answer to these questions. Second Peter 3, 9 says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, as you and I count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. I love the way that the Bible anticipates our questions. Why hasn't God come back yet? Well, it answers them. The Lord takes his time because he desires to see more repentance. So we wait, and as we wait, we repent, and we rest in the mercy that God has shown us and can, will continue to show us. But that's not all we're supposed to do with this mercy. This leads us to our third instruction. Our third instruction for the time living in between. First, watch out for divisions. Second, 
Keep yourself in God's love. And third, show mercy to others. Show mercy to others. This comes from the last two verses, 22 and 23. It says, and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by flesh. Jude does not just tell us to wait for mercy, but to show mercy. This is the natural response of a Christian. I have received mercy, therefore I extend mercy. If this is something that is difficult for you, and at times it's definitely difficult for me, it's because we have lost sight of everything that God has forgiven us for. When we remembered how desperate we were for grace, us at our lowest point, full of sin, depravity, when we realized that, we then begin to appreciate what God did to get rid of it. And then we can begin to show mercy to others. Even the mercy that we are shown is not mercy directly from us, but is literally just the exact same mercy that God has shown us. We then just give it right back to others. The grace that we have received is not meant only for us, but meant to be extended to others. And the, ama- the amazing thing is, God has given us so much grace, enough mercy, to forgive us of all of our sin, but there is plenty left over for us to forgive others as well. And as we wait for Christ to return, we are to keep ourselves in God's love, but we are also to show others an example of what that love looks like. In the time in between, we are to show others what true forgiveness looks like. And then tell them about the one who all forgiveness comes from. That means that when someone wrongs you, they sin against you. What we are to do is to show them a glimpse of grace. The glimpse of grace that God has given us, abundantly lavished upon us. Jude gives us a few examples of how we are to show mercy. The first one that's listed is that we are to show mercy to those who doubt. Those who doubt could refer to those who may have been swayed by the divisions created up in verse 17, or it could just be those who are genuinely struggling to believe in the truth that God is who he says he is and he has done what he has said he has done. In either interpretation, the point is still the same. There are people who will doubt. Our response should not be to argue with them and try to provide them with all the facts to change their mind. Instead, we are simply to have mercy. Whether they have wronged God or have wronged you in that process, we are simply just to have mercy. If there is vengeance to be had, it is the Lord's. And one of the reasons for this is found in the next example that Jude gives us. He says we are to save others by snatching them out of the fire. Sounds pretty intense. Sounds really intense. (laughs) What Jude is saying here is not that it is our job to be the savior for others, but It is our job to show them who is. And the way that we do that is by showing mercy. In this way, our extension of God's mercy can save them. The reality is, most of us see an unbeliever, the way that they live, we see them headed for hell's gates, and we think to ourselves, how foolish are they? We think, how could they do that? Can you believe what they did to me? We ask ourselves these questions, when in reality it is us who should think to ourselves, how foolish am I for thinking that they would make the right decision, having not believed and received grace that enables them to, re- to live righteously. 
Instead, our response should be to show mercy, hoping that because of the mercy, they will seek repentance. This is the model God uses for us. This is what Paul talks about in Romans 2, 4, where he says God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. When we hear of the kindness that God has shown to us through the gospel, our only hope is in our response to repent. I've experienced this firsthand. When I was young, I remember feeling the weight of my sin, specifically the sin of lying to my parents. I mean, what kid doesn't struggle with that one? And I remember most nights going to bed thinking, I know I'm gonna have to repent of this sometime, but I can't do it right now. And I would pray, God, just give me more time. I'm gonna get to this. I'm gonna repent of this sin. And he did. And for many nights, I put it off. But eventually, because of the Spirit's work, I worked up courage to share that confession of sin to my parents, and their response was immense grace. They said, of course they would forgive me. Hearing that response, I remember feeling the weight of sin taken away and the freedom that comes with grace. Receiving mercy from them, I thought to myself, if this is how it feels to be forgiven of some of my sin, I gotta know what it's like to be forgiven of all my sin. So I asked them if there was a good time for me to be saved, and that's a good question to ask your parents if you're a child. And they walked me through the gospel that night, which they had many times before, but I believed it, and they helped me pray. And at that moment, I was snatched out of the fire. And they helped me as an extension of God's grace that they showed me. They helped save me. Jude wraps up this point by saying that we are to show mercy with fear. This is strange phrasing, but I think what Jude means is that we are to show mercy while still exercising the fear of the Lord, knowing that at any moment, Christ has the right to enact a righteous judgment on sin and on sinners, knowing that God could come back at any moment and make that judgment happen that should motivate us to show mercy, fearing that he might come back before we have the opportunity to show others the mercy that he has to offer. This raises the point that there are so many people who have never had the chance to experience the type of mercy that you and I have been washed by. They have no idea the grace that God has to offer, and God includes us on his plan to show them that grace. And so we've got some work to do. That should change the way that we interact with the world. Instead of walking in to the grocery store and being upset at the person who stole your parking lot spot, we should show grace. If someone wrongs you at work, our response is to show grace, hoping that through that grace, they might question, is there more grace to be shown by God? I mentioned 2 Peter 3.9 earlier to say that God's timing might seem slow to us, but it's actually perfect. The next verse in 2 Peter 3 expounds upon this to say, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. This is not a very happy passage, and if you heard it correctly, it's meant to invoke a response in you to say, what am I doing? Just sitting around, holding a grudge, 
withholding forgiveness from someone, it's time that we start to show people the same grace that God has shown us. I don't say these things to scare you, but I hope to persuade you to take action, to show others the same grace. We do not know the day or the hour that the Lord will return, but we do know a couple things. He has saved us. He has ascended. He has instructed us on how to live in these last days, and he will return. There are so many things we could add to this list of instructions that God has given for us to live in these last days, but these three are some of the most important. We must watch out for divisions, keep ourselves in God's love, and show mercy to others. The good news is that Jude doesn't just give us a list of do's and don'ts. He wraps everything up with a reminder of why this is so important. A reminder that summarizes who God is and who we are in relationship to him. I want you guys to listen to these last words of this epistle. Listen to how beautiful they describe God and our relationship to him. It says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, be majesty, be dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you keep us. You keep us protected, waiting for the day that your son will return. And as we look around to this earth and our nation and state and city, we are desperate for Christ's return. Yet we are not without hope, for we know that you will return because you are faithful. So as we wait, we ask for your help. Lord, we ask for wisdom, knowing that we will need it if we are going to avoid divisions. We also ask that instead of falling prey to divisions, that you would enable us to keep ourselves in your love by building up ourselves up in faith, by praying in the Spirit, and by patiently waiting for your mercy. Lord, we don't want to be people who are stingy with the grace that you have shown us. I pray that we would be quick to show mercy and slow to condemn. In all of these things, we are thankful that you have all authority from before all time, now and forever. In your name we pray, amen.